quick heads up that there are a few curse words unbeeped in this episode. Mistakes are going to happen. The bigger mistake is letting one turn into more. Hello, and welcome to the Basket Case Immersive on Aaron Gossage. A Basket Case Immersive is a deep dive into the narratives from the previous episode to try and understand what's going on between our ears in those moments. When we shine a light on the human pitfalls at play, you can add action and awareness to your bag of trick shots next tournament. Think of everything you're about to hear as a jumping off point for you to discover what works for you and your own mental game. So take it or leave it. Also, the advice you're about to hear is conversational, not clinical. I am not a mental health professional or a sports psychologist, but I do strongly believe that if you've ever had your mental game fail you, you're not weird. In fact, you're in good company. So sit back and get ready for a gentle left brain massage and mental performance by a self-taught internet sleuth and psychology enthusiast. Let's get ready to flex our mental muscles and get lucky. Come on, y'all. First off, I want to thank Aaron so much for his episode. He is one of the coolest guys I met on tour last year, bar none. Thanks for talking to me, Goose. If you haven't listened to Aaron's episode yet, go and do that. Or not, we're going to keep going anyway. The first theme from Aaron's stories I wanted to dig into is the concept of tilting. I loved this word, and not being an avid poker player, I had never heard of it before. Here's how Aaron framed it in the episode. The one thing that I I dislike about my mental game the most is like tilting. For me, it's not about like playing a bad hole. It's letting that affect another shot that you you throw. If I let that get to me, that's when I look back my round and I'm like very disappointed in how I handled myself on the course. Tilt is a poker term, but has also been adopted in other sports like chess and esports. It actually originated from pinball, where physically tilting the machine caused some of the games to flash the word tilt and freeze the flippers. Tilt is a state of mental or emotional confusion or frustration, where a player becomes overly emotional or aggressive and starts making poor decisions. Basically, when you let your emotions, bad luck, or bad outcomes affect your decisions and it turns into a death spiral of increasingly poor performance. You have to have the ability to regulate those emotions without getting riled up and having those feelings affect any subsequent shots. One thing that separates top players from new ones is their ability to manage and avoid tilt by focusing on long-term goals versus short-term outcomes. You've probably heard pros give the advice of having a short memory, which is their ability to shake off a bad shot and refocus towards the next one without letting the bad drag them down. If you focus on your short-term results, it doesn't matter how good you are, you will be tilting a lot. Tilt can be caused by a sense of injustice. You did everything right and still chained out or window B. By understanding the fact that bad luck will play a part, you can make things much easier for yourself and tilt less. There's a few different ways to avoid and manage tilt. A good first step is understanding what your triggers are. 
These could be doubt in your abilities, bad breaks, card mates that rub you the wrong way, playing hungry or tired, a cold stretch, or even insanely good play, like an ace or a surprise birdie. Identifying your triggers comes with experience. The next rounds and tournaments you play, play with the goal to consciously become more aware of when and why you tilt. I thought it was interesting that both ends of the spectrum of play can cause it. Have you ever had a tournament ace and then proceeded to bogey the next few? Both extremely good and bad luck or uncharacteristic skill can send you tilting if you aren't prepared. Another tip is to make a note of any throw you feel you played badly and mentally file it away for later revision. So you're not really forgiving yourself, but at the same time, you're not letting it affect your play and focus either. Once you're back home and ready, you can go through any questionable executions and see what you could have done differently. If you adopt this strategy, it will be much easier to move on from poorly played holes and avoid compounding your losses by making more bad decisions just because of the one that got away. One element of preventing going on tilt is to recognize and depersonalize the hand of randomness when it inevitably slaps you in the face, so you don't let it leak into the rest of your round. Erin and I talked a bit about the dichotomy of luck and skill in the episode, and dealing with unlucky breaks. I don't know. The luck is kind of interesting. I, I see a lot of players get frustrated with bad breaks, with spit outs, with things like that. At the end of the day, you, you can't let that really get in your head, that unluckiness. I thought the psychology behind luck versus skill was a really interesting concept. There is a book on our reading list at basketcasepod.com called The Success Equation by Michael Mobison. Michael used statistics to rank the major team sports on a continuum of luck and skill. With this equation, basketball comes in closest to skill and hockey actually shakes out closest to luck, with football, baseball, and soccer in between. In his model, he uses randomness as a measure of luck, and in the end, since it's statistics, it's based on things like the sample size of games per season, how many chances a player has to score, and how much sustained control the most skillful players have each game. Disc golf being an individual sport, it would fall more on the spectrum end of skill, but there are variations course to course and course obstacles like trees could be seen as opponents. Aaron mentioned favoring more open courses over wooded courses for this reason in the episode. I try to play a game that eliminates as much luck as possible. And that's why I like playing these open courses a little bit more um, because there's a lot less luck. It's kind of like where you throw your shot, it ends up versus a lot of times right. in the woods, you know, you oh, can... I'm just going to throw it and kind of hope that it yeah. sneaks through. Yeah, or you, you miss your line, one person's parked and one person's, you know, kicked out of bounds. So um, it, it adds this, this factor of luck. When you can recognize that every round has elements of randomness or luck that will be completely outside of your control, you can catch a bad break and not lose confidence and stay positive. The more obstacles there are in a course, the more variance there will be between how great your shot is skill-wise and what the outcome ends up being. If you played a heavily wooded course, play the numbers, take the highest percentage flight path, and give yourself a lot of grace if you hit a tree or two. I was really lucky this season to play around with legend Elaine King on a heavily wooded course in Virginia that I was playing blind. This course was beautiful and absolutely slaughtered my spirit. Elaine gave me some woods advice I'll never forget. She said, when you get to a spot off the fairway, your goal is to find and hit the longest, clearest gap you have from where you are. 
This might mean getting back on the fairway, or it could mean landing 100 feet to the left or right of the basket, whatever gives you the highest percentage through and the farthest flight path. Then you can approach from there. As I'm saying, it sounds simple and obvious, but at the time, this blew my mind. It was so counterintuitive to throw a shot that didn't land closer to the basket, but in heavy woods, that was the best bet. She got a par on that hole from going way off left, way off right, pitching up to the circle, and putting it in. I did not do that. <laughs> in this book, Michael uses the following equation. The observable outcome is equal to your luck plus your skill. Basically, the results of your shot are equal to your skill plus your luck in that moment. The luck aspect ebbs and flows like a coin toss, reading heads 50% of the time the more you toss it. The best way to get good data on a coin toss is a larger sample size, i.e. the longer you toss the coin, or throw the disc, the closer it gets to 50-50 luck-wise. The best way to become luckier, meaning more good breaks over bad breaks, is to make your skill level higher and play more. Remember, luck in this case just means randomness. Most players have about the same good-bad luck ratio long-term, but more skillful players increase their opportunities for better results and for better luck because the deviation between their luck and skill numbers is smaller, and they play more often, which increases the odds their luck will be evenly split 50-50 versus leaning one way. This is why there is the phenomenon of world champion love, five-time luck, and so on where it seems like the best players in the world also tend to have better, luckier breaks. The best players have good luck because their skill is higher. So what can you do about it? Parts of managing the results of luck boil down to the concept of influence. Basically, how much influence do you actually have on various aspects of your throw? It's hard to mentally separate your throw from the outcome and not take full ownership, but the reality is that you don't have 100% control 100% of the time, nor do you have 0%. Think about the parts you do influence. Speed, angle, disc selections, release point, etc. Take the things you can control and translate them into your practice, becoming more skillful in those areas. Move that needle from 50% successful putts at 20 feet to 75% and you've drastically improved your odds. Paul Ulibarri gave me this tip at the Ulibarri Safari in 2022. If you attempt to putt and you feel as if you executed your part to the best of your ability and the wind or the basket interferes, feel good. You did it. You did your part and you did everything in your power to make the shot. So if you get a bad break, just remember that statistics will happen, whether you're highly skilled or not, but becoming more skilled makes your luck less relevant. There's a really great eight-minute video by Vox called Why Underdogs Do Better in Hockey Than Basketball that sums up and explains the luck skill sports continuum really well, explained by the author of the book himself, so I'll leave a link to that in the show notes. And seriously, I am proud of you guys for making it through that section. That was dense. I am a nerd, so I'm here for it, and I am glad you are too. Good job. So speaking of underdogs, in Allie's Immersive, we talked about the perfect combination of mental framing for peak performance being high confidence and low expectations, which happens to share some of the core characteristics in what's called an underdog mentality. Aaron and I both noticed we play better as the quote-unquote underdog. 
being in that like underdog mindset, I'm going to come out here and I'm going to prove that, you know, I'm, I'm on this level and I'm going to come out swinging. Um, one of the things Paul kind of seems to do is make himself the underdog a lot of times, even though like at Worlds, I think most people expected Paul to win like the whole tournament. Like every round, he um, kind of put himself in a position where he wasn't the favorite to win so that he could be like, hey, I've got something to prove. You know, I'm I'm not the one that's that, like everyone that expects to do well. I'm the one that has to prove himself to really do this. And it, it's interesting how he puts himself in that position, even in that last round. You know, he was three strokes back and then right at the end, he had to clutch up. You know, he had to make that you know huge shot on 17, make himself the underdog to to like overcome that. And it's an interesting mindset to kind of get into. Interesting indeed, Aaron. So let's talk about the upsides of being the underdog right after this quick ad break. Stay with us. If you're listening to Basket Case, you will likely be getting some new disc golf gear soon. Some of my favorite discs I've owned I found at infinitediscstour.com. They have pictures of every disc, so you can find a disc that has good vibes and know exactly what you're getting. They carry basically every retailer, so that obscure favorite that just went swimming could be replaced after all. You can also sell them your used or new discs that don't work for your game before you throw them in the water so someone else can. If you're a TD, their payout and sponsorship options can streamline the whole process for you and allow your winners to get what they want. They do player packs and trophies too. Check out what they can do by going to infinitediscstour.com. That's infinitediscstour.com. Wildpack Sports wants to help people get outdoors and thrive through adventure, sport, and mindfulness. If you're looking for more control or stamina in stressful situations, their mindfulness sessions can help you develop habits to use on and off the course. Whether you're staring down a 30-footer for the win or surviving a trip to the grocery store with your kids, a lesson on breathwork, mindfulness, or a cold plunge can give you the tools you need to thrive. Sessions can be in-person or virtual, so get started today by going to wildpacksports.com. Wildpack Sports. Control the moment. Control the outcome. Everyone loves a good underdog story. Conrad beating Macbeth, Cinderella becoming a princess, and America winning the Revolutionary War. The underdog mentality describes a David versus Goliath situation where a smaller, lesser competitor takes on the bigger, more experienced favorite. The strength of the underdog mentality is that it allows the lesser to take advantage of the situation from a psychological standpoint and is one of the most sensational aspects of sports. When an underdog triumphs, like at Worlds in 2021 when James Conrad threw the holy shot, it leads to events leaking into mainstream media, reaching audiences who wouldn't necessarily pay attention to disc golf. Researchers have investigated the underdog phenomenon, and there are a few different theories about why we root for these characters and want to see them succeed. The first theory is that everybody wants the world to be fair. 
one study had students watch basketball matches. They were told that one of the teams they were watching had won 15 of their last games. The students consistently wanted to see the team they were told had won previously lose. It seems that we may feel that those with less means deserve to win due to some uneven metaphorical playing field, sort of a rags-to-riches universal equilibrium. Another theory is that we're mean creeps who like watching bad things happen, scaring cats with cucumbers, fall compilations, and Charlie bit my finger as evidence. There's a German term called schadenfreude, which means the pleasure we get from experiencing the misfortune of others. Like a podcast host trying to pronounce a German word. We like to put people on pedestals and then love knocking them down. Evidence for this theory is mixed and much unsupported, but there it is. The next theory is decision affect theory, which says unexpected outcomes have greater emotional impact than expected outcomes. If we miss a putt, and we know we shanked our wrist to the right, it doesn't hurt as much as when we thought we did everything correct and it still spits out. We feel elated when the outcomes exceed the counterfactual and experience more pain from unexpected failures than ones we anticipated. Positioning yourself as the underdog allows you to take advantage of the situation from a psychological standpoint. If your mental game suffers from any kind of inferiority complex, imposter syndrome, or if you're just a talented newcomer to the sport, your game may benefit from adopting an underdog mentality. A great narrative example of the underdog mentality is when Iceland played in the UEFA European Championship. It was the first time the Icelandic football team had ever qualified for a major tournament, so they were writing their own story and playing against top-level countries. It really wouldn't have mattered if they lost every game. Just being there was a huge accomplishment. When a team or athlete is satisfied with their participation in the event alone, they are free to play to the utmost ability without the psychology of expectation, both internal and external, impacting their performance. In the opening game, Iceland played Portugal. Now, Portugal had a very different standing. Their expectations were sky high to win. Iceland could play with nothing to lose and pit their best against the team with everything to lose. In dramatic fashion, Iceland was able to move through the tournament, outperforming steep competition, even beating England to move into the quarterfinals. After every match, the team would move to their fans' corner of the stadium and perform a ritual that connected the players to their countrymen, win or lose. So how can you harness the mentality of an underdog to help you with your mental game? First, enjoy and live in the moment. Reward yourself for your performances regardless of the outcome and appreciate the fact that you're even there. Focus on confidence in your skills and not outcomes like Ali did perfectly to win worlds. Second, create a ritual before and after your performances, win or lose. Like Eagle reading his contract before every round. If you want to listen to Eagle reading directly from his contract, head over to our Patreon. Rituals can help establish the start and end of a special state of focus and allows you to embody your personal narrative. What is your underdog story that got you where you are today? These can be things that would normally be seen as a handicap or a disadvantage, but turned into a strength. You got there not in spite of those things, but because of them. Use that and celebrate it. Reinforce that story to remind yourself of your tenacity, resilience, and almost a sense of self-justice that you deserve to be there. And lastly, doubt your doubters. Research into the underdog mentality shows that it was particularly motivating to have low expectations for a performance if you thought the person placing those expectations on you was not credible. 
In contrast, if you have low expectations from a source you believe is credible, you believe the story too and flounder. It can be easy for the underdog mentality to backfire into anxiety if at any point you believe the story that you are less than, either from yourself or from someone else. Eagle's story about this concept perfectly illustrate the differences here. At LVC, he believed the narratives that his injury was impacting his play because he saw the commentary as credible. At the European Open, he overcame that narrative through low expectations and high confidence and doubting that injury narrative to pull off the win. The research shows that underdog expectations can actually motivate people to try to prove others, especially those they find less credible, wrong, leading them to perform better. I want to thank Aaron one more time for his awesome episode. I learned a lot from him and can't wait to see him pull off the win this season. And with that, it's time for some listener sends. The first one is from my caddy daddy, Keith Howells. He says, listening to the Eagle Immersive and something that was said about having a mantra when they throw struck me. And I realized when my putt is on fire, it's cause I do something similar. But we gotta go back to where I learned to do this. So I'm a big fan of King of the Hill and there's an episode where Hank and Bobby do a father-son shooting contest. Bobby is a perfect shot, but Hank struggles. His mind wanders back to Cotton yelling at him and he gets all shaky and misses. He goes to a sports psychologist who asks him to envision a butterfly going straight out the barrel to the target. Hank's response, I will not be thinking of a butterfly. He decides on an airplane, that was tragic. He decides on an airplane and then adds the auditory mantra of time to take off. And he ends up shooting amazing. I started doing something like this in ball golf when I would putt. I would line up and envision a dotted line like from the Muppets traveling by map, going from the ball to the cup along the lines I wanted to break. I got really good at putting this way and knew that if I did this each time, blocking out all noises and thoughts, just envision that travel by map and say, that's the line it was going in. Well, when I switched to disc golf, I had forgotten this lesson until I had a chance to get some coaching from Yuli. His advice of making it simple and repeatable helped me get to this simple putting stroke that was always the same and I could begin to envision the disc in flight. And I know if when I line up the putt, I can envision that travel by map line going from my hand to the chain link I want. Then as I release, I say, hell yeah, and simply let my body do what it knows to do. It's a simple thing, but it helps. Spending all the time practicing and honing in the putting stroke, then using that mental cue to just let my body do what it knows to do. I have seen a drastic improvement in my ability to repeatedly hit big putts or small putts. Keith Howells. Thanks, Keith. You're the bomb. The next send is from Katie in Utah. She said, Chelsea. Hi, I have many anecdotes. This is the first that comes to mind, but I'm happy to share more. The single most defining moment in my disc golf career was not during a round of mine. Crazy, huh? I was a caddy for Lisa Fakus during the final round of the 2021 World Championships at the Fort in Ogden, Utah. For those that don't remember, Lisa actually had a shot at walking away a world champion against Kristen, Paige, and Katrina. Hole 16 was a circle one island shot from an elevated tee pad with a water hazard deep. There were feather flags on the water's edge and I told her that she needed to use those as a wind read since the tee pad was protected. She does and Lisa is the only player to make the island from the tee pad, bridging a two stroke gap that she needed in order to have a shot at the title. Then absolute tragedy strikes. She misses the birdie putt and the par putt and 
the bogey putt. As a caddy, I didn't know what to do in that situation. Poised to win a world championship, to choke on the biggest stage possible, is something I didn't have the cognizance to understand. The walk between 16's green and the FBO tee pad for 17 is about 90 seconds long. Lisa was disappointed, as I would imagine anyone in her position to be. She walks up to put her disc back in the bag on my back and tells herself something I will never forget. I am angry. I'm allowed to be angry. I'm going to use this time as I walk to the next tee pad to feel everything that is natural for me to feel at this moment. Then, when I get to 17's tee pad, I'm not allowed to be angry anymore. Fat chance, I thought. How can you rebound from something like that? But she did. She finished her round in a spectacularly composed fashion and cemented herself as an idol for me in the disc golf community. This opened my eyes to the possibility that you don't have to be the perfect disc golfer to have the perfect disc golf game. Disappointment happens, but she didn't let that disappointment mature into defeat. It really changed my game forever. Thanks for doing this, Katie. Thank you so much, Katie. Katie actually runs an amazing organization called Team Thunderpuss that promotes and supports women in disc golf, so check it out. Lisa Fakus is such a hero of mine. We actually have a bonus episode with Lisa Fakus, and her ability to stay positive is truly unmatched. If you want to listen to Lisa's ad-free episode and tons of other bonus content, head over to our Patreon. And if you have a comment or story you want others to hear, send it to discgolfbasketcase at gmail.com or connect with us on our social media channels, and we will read your send on the show. As always, sources from the episode are linked in the show notes, so check it out. Thank you so much for listening, and until next time, no guts, no glory, no brains, no chains. Goodbye. Statistics will happen, whether you're highly skilled or not, but becoming more skilled makes your luck less relevant.